Hello and welcome to Hong Kong Heritage. On this week's programme, I look at the life and work of watercolour artist Cam Chong Ling. He signed himself in red as Ling and throughout his life painted junks, fishing boats, Victoria Harbour, Macau buildings and portraits of the fishing community. He would also be a key influence on Macau's art scene. He was born in 1911 and died in 1991. Seven of his artworks are part of an exhibition at What is Fine Art at the bottom of Old Bailey Street on Hollywood Road, showing rare prints, paintings and maps. The exhibition is called Hong Kong, the Pearl of the Orient, 1838 until 1965 and runs until this Friday, December the 3rd. I asked antiquarian Jonathan Wattis what appealed to him about the work of artist Cam Chong Ling when he first came across it. Cam Chong Ling specialises in watercolours, but his style is a combination of East and West. So he has Chinese elements and Western elements to watercolour. And watercolour is a very difficult medium. I mean, I don't know whether you've ever tried to do watercolour. You get a piece of watercolour paper and you get the brush and the watercolour and you put it on it and it goes like blotting paper. So first of all, you have to size the paper, prepare it, and then you have to be able to paint, and what you've put on there cannot be changed. So there's no hit or miss. It, it just has to be done correctly, one-off watercolour. So it's, uh, it's a difficult medium, and he became a master of this medium. Now, Cam Chong Ling was born in 1911, and he actually, when he becomes an artist, it's interesting to see who he trains under. There's a, there's a variety of influences there. It is interesting because he's brought up in Hong Kong and he goes to a, a school which is Anglo-Chinese, so he's clearly had a Western influence. And he has a number of different people who teach him to paint. One of his earliest influences was a, a Chinese artist whose name is Choi Weng Cheng, who was regarded as the father of Chinese watercolours. So his early influence in watercolour painting was from a Chinese side. And to a degree that comes out in the way he applies the watercolour and the way he paints things on, on his, his paper. But I think ultimately the influences that are important are the Western influences. And at some point he must have encountered Western artists. Now in Macau there were a couple of, well a number of very famous Western artists. In the 19th century George Chinnery, he was probably influenced by him, but also George Smirnoff, who was a Russian artist. And if you look at some of Ling's paintings, there may be an element of uh, influence there by George Smirnoff. The only issue with that was that, sadly, George Smirnoff had a very short life and died in 1947, although he had worked in Hong Kong just after the Second World War. So I'm, I don't know this, but I, there's a possibility that one might have met the other, you know, and, and, and the influence may have been there. But that story, I don't know. I'm only speculating. So the people who could specialise and, and paint watercolours, and Chinnery was, was very famous for that, and Smirnoff was really talented. And then you get Cam Chong Ling, and his watercolours are, are beautiful. Yeah, I think that's very interesting that you would... I mean, there's no doubt that he would have been looking... As you say, it will always be a question mark whether he did get to meet Smirnoff, but the fact is, obviously, he's going to be looking at the work of those who came before him in terms of Hong Kong and Macau. What I found interesting is that, as you say, he is taught by Choi Weng Cheng and, and seems to have a years-long friendship and, and seeing him as his mentor. But what kind of, even with his watercolours, I mean, the fact is he's taught in a, in 
in an Eastern style to begin with, but then sort of embraces Western painting. So what's he actually using to paint? Well, he's using watercolours, which are a traditional English-style watercolours. So these are earth tones. Usually with bright colour, you use gouache. And this, this is more for colouring prints, but also getting brighter poster paint and things. But the, the, he uses these earth tones. Now, he's very good at what he does. And Chinese brush painting, you know, would be less as colourful and uh, there'd be much more black and mountain river landscape, but also effects... But he combines his knowledge from these people. I think the thing is, with his mentor who comes from Shanghai, is that he is in Hong Kong for a time, but he's going backwards and forwards between Shanghai and Hong Kong. And so Ling is learning from him. Yeah. So you call him Ling? Yes. So Cam Cheng Ling, is it Ling or Cam? Well, Cam is probably what in English you'd call his surname. And Ling is... Like a trade name, if you like. So that's but how he signed? He signs all his watercolours, Ling, in red, either in the bottom right or bottom left. More frequently in the bottom right. But why that is, I don't know. Just maybe where that, that's the, where it's more appropriate. But they're all Lings, and uh, so we come to call him Ling. So where did you first come across the work of Cam Jing Ling? This is a strange one. OK, I first came across the work of Cam Chong Ling in Macau and the museums there represent him and there's a number of paintings by Cam Chong Ling in Macau. So if you go to the Macau Museum of Art, you will find a corridor there where you go from George Chinnery to Auguste Bourget to George Smirnoff to Cam Chong Ling, all down one corridor. And you can see how they each depict Macau in a very beautiful way, but with their own styles. And you can see a slight crossover of styles, but uh, Cam Chong Ling is unique in the way he paints. He's not completely Smirnoff and he's not completely Chinnery and he's not completely a Chinese artist. He's his own man and he produces wonderful things, yeah. Now, you, when you've looked at various artists over the years, I mean, of course, we're not there. So when they're taking either a sketch or even later a photograph and then they might be producing the painting afterwards, what was uh, Cam Chong Ling's style? I mean, did he sit there with an easel? We'll be talking in a moment about some of Cam Chong Ling's work that you've got on display here, Jonathan, but a lot of them are of junks or harbour scenes. So did he actually sit there or would he have just done a sketch and then done it back home? Well, I believe that he went out on a regular daily journey and he would do preparatory sketches. So a lot of his work was done with pencil, at which he would take back and he would do his watercolours in the studio. So the end result is something he's done in his studio mostly. And how truthful is he? Ah, well, he's an artist, so there's artistic <laughs> licence. But you do get things like a particular ship's colour. So there would be uh, red on the funnel because it's a Jardine ship. But then again, you see it might be the ship he's put the wrong colour on as well. We don't know, uh, but someone might find that, you know, maybe he made a mistake and didn't put the right colour. But uh, he's, he's pretty good. And then you get his landscapes where he's depicting buildings. Well, I mean, if you're going to do endless Hong Kong waterfronts, I mean, how can you depict... Every, how long is it going to take to fill in every single building? <laughs> A long time. I'm talking with Jonathan Waters about the artist Cam Chong Ling. Jonathan has got several works of Cam Chong Ling here at Wattis Fine Art displayed until this coming Friday. So that's the exhibition Hong
Hong Kong, The Pearl of the Orient, 1838 to 1965, a collection of some of the rarest prints and paintings. Now, a lot of the time with artists, you celebrate them during their lives, sometimes after their lives. So you assume that the art is what they did, but he had a job alongside. Well, in his Hong Kong time, he worked with Jardine and Jardine shipping for a while. And thus, so many of the paintings are of junks or shippings or, or harbour views or views of Hong Kong with ships in the foreground and views of Macau. Did he sort of intersperse these Jardine ships into his works then? Well, the, the, the story goes along the, these lines. So I would buy his watercolours because I like them. And then one day, serendipity, his daughter turned up. And his daughter, who I know as Mary, very kindly filled me in with so much information, which is why I know what I know, because otherwise all I would be able to talk is, is about his style. But his background and all these different things comes across because Mary told me that her father had worked for Jardine and he used to paint the ships for them as well. I mean, so painting views in the harbour of junks and maybe a giant ship and, and, and that maybe they used on a calendar or something like that. So some of his work actually gets used as posters as well as the watercolours. So, yeah, he clearly was a maritime specialist in my view. And then in 1954, he leaves Hong Kong and he goes to Macau. And when he gets to Macau, he has dedicated his life to being a painter and he gets involved with doing uh, many different things in what is a much smaller village-like community, but he becomes part of art groups and he also sets up a Macau School of Art and he's very involved with the leading artists of their day all painting different styles and different subjects and his is more traditional, but he also becomes a teacher. So he not only paints all the time subjects because Macau is full of subjects so he also does portraits and he does fishing people and he does obviously junks by the harbour and, and details which he's very good at depicting so that there are so many subjects for him to depict and so what happens is his watercolours he will put into group shows and various things but the first show solo show he had was at the portuguese bookshop in 1989 and i've got a feeling that i might have been there but i don't have <laughs> anything to prove it but i did used to go always when i went to macau so you might have met him no not necessarily i might have seen him but i can't remember that yeah. but i definitely you know would always it was my one of my uh, places to go was the portuguese bookshop which was a fantastic bookshop and the thing is they produced a fantastic catalogues for exhibitions in macau and you'd always go there and find the catalogue the trouble is if you didn't buy it you'd never find the book again <laughs> and they were so well written but that you know and so Portuguese bookshop was really important part of buying books about Macau and about art and it had an art gallery there and I remember one time I was offered to put on a show there but I ended up putting it on somewhere else but uh, but he had his first solo show in 89 there oh the old Macau I mean I know it from uh, the 1990s a little bit later but the pre-casino apart from the Lisboa the sort of pre-casino era yes. it, it was it, you're right it yes. just had this air of more village life yes. uh, much stronger you know Macanese Portuguese, Chinese influence, um, not this big commercial stuff. Mm. And uh, yeah, and I would imagine, I mean, I used to see a lot of artists out just just out in the street or mm. up, I mean, obviously up near the facade and, and mm. more touristic areas, but I really did, it did have a sense of art and poetry about it. And maybe some of them were his students. 
could be. Mm. I mean, it was just, it, but it also lent itself. I yes. mean, there were so, as you say, in Macau, yeah. there's so many good subjects. What I liked about reading about Kam Chiongling in, in a, a book you have here, Jonathan, it is a, from an exhibition in 2003. Uh, he, in fact, uh, Kam Chiongling would pass away or would die in 1991, but it's, it's an exhibition after he's died. And it's lovely, with a lot of input from his daughter. And it says about the fact that he was very sort of a contented man in the sense that he wasn't about money and he wasn't particularly about fame and success. He just liked what he did and lived a fairly modest life. And But during that time, as I say, from the perspective of watercolour, I know people who are great artists in their own way, but they'll, they'll do oils or they'll do a pen and ink. But um, the idea for them to transition over to watercolour, they, they say how frustrating it is, how much patience, how many disasters they have. So the fact that he was able to do that in, in portraiture, architecture, junks, yes. uh, what skill? What skill? And, and also colour and, and movement. He, he gets all sorts of elements with it. I mean, I, I don't know because having read about artists over the years, you know, the Impressionists, if you get certain Impressionists, if they did a painting, it wasn't right, they'd throw it away. Yeah. I know people like Renoir didn't. So you get a lot of mediocre Renoirs coming up at auction. But that was, that was just the way it happens, you know. And, and, and I don't know how many, the attrition rate for him. I mean, he may well have thrown it away. But he's in the studio, so he can do that. And people probably don't know whereas if he was painting on plein air they would see all the paper in the dustbin or something but no he he was clearly good and we see see the work that we see and i don't think i've seen a painting that didn't work i mean that he's done so but he would have editorship of that as well yes. and uh, imagine it would give him great satisfaction when when it came out really well now you've got seven works of Kam Chung Ling here at What Is Fine Art and uh, I think it's uh, quite interesting, he's, he's quite close up, but the one is junks sailing in a rainstorm with a sampan and these are all done, mostly these ones are from the 1960s. They are. Interestingly enough, his daughter came to the opening of the exhibition and I said to her, look, I, I, I just don't know with these junks at sea whether they are 1950s or 60s or 70s or 80s, but the feeling is that they are earlier. And she said, yes, they are early. And I said, what I really like about putting these three watercolours with junks side by side is the way he deals with sea, the mood of the sea and the sky, the mood of the sky. And she said, yes, he was really good at doing the sea and the sky. So you get... Which you need, you need with a sort of ocean horizon, don't you? You do, but he, he's got, <laughs> yes, he's got a very tranquil mm. and there's just a small whiff of a breeze and uh, the sail is going in, uh, in the one on the left. And then the one in the middle, there is this, uh, this rainstorm and this haze and these junks are looming in the haze and, and the water is uncertain. There's an uncertainty of direction in the way he's caught the sea, you know, and it's, it's one of those flash rainstorms that comes in and he's caught it really well with junks and sampans. And the other one on the right is a rough sea and I think it wouldn't be necessarily very comfortable to be on a junk in a rough sea, but here it is. This junk is weathering its way in a very choppy sea. What I like about his junk sails is they're very true in the sense that, I mean, that's just a, something that I noticed, that the, the sails have been weathered, they've been re-sewn, they've been patched up. Because, of course, you know, if you're a fisherman and you're on a fishing junk, there isn't a lot of cash 
for, for I mean, sales would be super expensive, I'm sure. So you just uh, keep patching them up. So I quite like that detail. These are, you know, working boats. Yes, absolutely. And then you could almost, in, in a photographic sense, crop a sail and you'd have an abstract painting because the way he's painted it, you know, it, it, it has so many colours in it to catch that, the holes, the patching, the different generation of patching. Yeah, it's fascinating. We've got one here, Hong Kong Harbour, circa 1955, a watercolour, as they all are. And so, you, yeah, you have a sampan in the foreground and uh, there's actually, you know, two people aboard that, obviously with the usual straw hat. I like the, you know, he's got some light coming in through the clouds which are reflected in the water, very clever. This junk in the foreground, which, as I say, has had lots of sewing done to it. But in the background also is for anybody who's looking at it with a sense of history about Hong Kong, is any of those you're looking I mean I do find myself I'm looking and seeing how big the buildings are on Hong Kong side and you are quite right and this is a typo because <laughs> because 55 modern. it is more modern it's 65 <laughs> to 70 because we think this could be Jardine House yes. and, 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 and so that was a mistake at the yeah. time it was supposed to be circa 1965 so I, that's my, my mistake <laughs> But we do that, and that's in the typing. I apologise. Yeah, so fun, that's, you know. that's actually showing the yeah. development in, in the mid-1960s. Yeah. And, and I hope that you've got a star ferry there. Do you think he was under contract to, to pop a Jardine ship in everywhere? Ah, well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because clearly at some point there must have been some patronage, because if they were going to get a, a watercolour to maybe produce into a calendar... I haven't never seen a calendar, and I've never seen a poster, but I've read that that's... It would be interesting did. to see what's out yeah, there. Yeah, and, and it would be interesting to see that, because in that case, maybe they did. But the other side of that is that maybe they knew he did watercolours, and they would go and look at his watercolours that he'd done and select one and maybe buy it from him. I'm talking with antiquarian Jonathan Wattis here at Wattis Fine Art, so that's at 20 Hollywood Road, so just at the bottom of Old Bailey Street. We're looking at the work of watercolourist Cam Chung Ling, who lived from 1911 to 1991. He would spend decades here in Hong Kong, had a bit of a relationship with Jardine. So what we're looking at today have been junks and harbour views, also the action here along Shao Ke Wan, where you've got actually a couple of boats being restored. But it's interesting also that he did any number of portraits and also Macau architecture later on in his life. He also founded a Macau art school and was uh, involved in the Macau art scene for decades until, as I say, he died in 1991. And uh, his art is on display, as you said, in the Macau Museums. This is part of an exhibition called Hong Kong, the Pearl of the Orient, 1838 till 1965. You have until this Friday to see it. <laughs> um, so that's a collection of some of the rarest prints and paintings. Now, going back to his early life, it's interesting, we've been talking about the influence of on Cam Cheng Ling of his early teacher, Choi Wang Cheng. He lived from 1880 to 1953. So he's very much training Cam Cheng Ling. As you said, there may have been other influences like Chinnery, like Smirnoff, yes. as he does both Eastern and Western art. But what are, were the other early influences on Cam Cheng Ling? Well, I think there were a number of artists who he met when he got to Macau and he started 
being part of the Macau art scene. So he would be influenced by very skilled artists there who would paint in a number of styles because there were all sorts of styles that people adopted. It's quite varied in Macau, the, the styles, from traditional Chinese to contemporary, to contemporary abstract. And the, all the movements that were happening in the 50s and 60s and 70s, Macau became a very thriving, lively art scene. And so he would have learned there, but what he learned and what he'd learned in Hong Kong and in Macau, he also taught. So he taught a number of artists who went on to have very good careers. And among those artists was somebody who I met in the late 90s, unwittingly. I didn't know the connection in this story, uh, whose name is Ung Vai Meng, who is a highly respected artist in Macau, but also became, after the handover of 1999, a director or curator of the Macau Museum of Art. And then he became a, a president of the Macau art scene. And then he became like the cultural minister of Macau. So he, he's quite significant in, in terms of e evolving in Macau and the evolution of art scene in Macau since the handover. And uh, he's, he's actually a very good artist and very knowledgeable. And he's somebody who I think did a very good job for Macau uh, over the years. So Cam Chung Ling had a big influence on Ong Vai Meng? Yes, indeed. He was his mentor. So what you can find uh, about... Well, there's many things on Ong Vai Meng, but if you see his drawings of Macau, where he goes around the street uh, in Macau, he's drawing the streets of Macau. I mean, that's what he would have done when he was with... Kam Chong Ling, he would have gone and they would have both been drawing together. So that's something he's... Uh, but then but then he evolves and, and develops his own style. So he, he becomes his own artist as well, Ong Vai Meng. But, you know, he has to start with a training and that's how he trains with Ling. Now, you also, um, in terms of serendipity, you said about the fact that you, in the late 1980s, you may have actually, at the Portuguese bookshop been at an exhibition of Cam Chong Ling but also and I think this is also to do with your work as uh, and where you find the art as an antiquarian um, is uh, that you actually found some of Cam Chong Ling's work in Wales. Ah yes that's another story which is quite good we have to rewind about five or six years ago uh, and I have a, a friend who helps me collect things around the country and uh, he said to me one day, Jonathan, in uh, an auction in, in North Wales, there's these paintings by this artist of Macau, and I know you like Macau. Are you interested? And I said, yes, I'll put you together. So he put us together, and they were a group of paintings, and I'm trying to remember whether there were 8, 10, or 12 of them, of scenes of Macau. Now, when I, I bought them all, and when I had them, I thought they were all 1950s and 60s, and then later on I thought they might be even 70s, but they were all of the major buildings in Macau. He done a, a series of watercolours which were beautiful and we exhibited them we ended up exhibiting them about four years ago at Fine Art Asia and they were beautiful altogether because they were lovely colours. How prolific was he? I don't actually know because Macau is, is a relatively small city as it were on, on, on the scale of the international art world where people can pump out lots of pictures but I, did, I do see that he did various series so one time he went to China and he went all around China doing different views he did a series on Beijing which is very beautiful I've never seen his Beijing paintings so I only think that 
he wasn't that prolific. These things that otherwise you'd be seeing that group of watercolours coming up every 10 years or every 20 years. And I haven't. That's the first time I've come across those. And nearly all these watercolours I've only ever had once. That yeah, subject. that's interesting. It's yeah. not, he's not one of these artists who's just churning it out. Um, it's, it's, as you say, each, each painting is very different from the next, even though it might be junks or harbour. They're, they're, they all show a very, very different scene. Um, so it's not exactly for the tourist market. No, I don't think so. Um, and the other thing is that we were very lucky when uh, we opened the show and this, this watercolour by the waterfront with junks was was identified. I mean, I, I thought it might be Macau, then I thought it might be Aberdeen. So how, what were you looking at along there? Uh, well, there was, uh, the, I thought it might be a fire hydrant and it was green. Um, and so I'm looking at all these colour pictures of Macau to try and identify from a, a, a fire hydrant in the middle. But it's actually a capstan which you tie the boat to and it's green. Um, and it, so it was, it was a fruitless exercise. And then his daughter came in. She said, oh, it's Xiaoqi Wan. And she said, we used to go sketching there together because uh, Mary is a, a, an artist artist in her own right and her her name is Kam Yuk Wa and she she paints watercolors as well but in a different way to her she's more con conventional Chinese artist than uh, a traditional uh, artist but uh, she she identified it immediately and then Mary also gave me this beautiful book on this exhibition of 2003 which is a biography and, and so many watercolors in it and one of them that's in there is exactly that scene but 20 years earlier which is from her collection interesting yeah it's also i think interesting to look at you were saying about the sort of earthy colors uh, that he uses but i can also see that um he develops his palette um over the years is that based on what you know just his own artistic choices it surely you know in this it won't make any difference at that era of of what watercolors he had access to he's just changing how he looks at things i think he's just experimenting yeah. and developing and trying out new things i mean later on there seems to be in in the 80s and things he seems to use a different type of pen rather than pencil and so the line is much stronger and you see that in his book um, I haven't got any examples of that period and I actually haven't had any period from that period but uh, you know clearly he's he's evolving and he's trying different techniques what I like also is the way that he does, in, in addition to the, the, the obviously the ships and rowing boats that you have in the foreground, and again I'm talking about these very traditional junks, we have a, here a panorama of Hong Kong from the harbour circa 1965. So you've got, as I say, what, you're, what the eye is drawn to is these rowing boats and, and the junks in the foreground, super sky as usual. There's a couple of steamships there in the background, plus the Star Ferry. We're looking over at Hong Kong Island and uh, I like the way he just fills in the buildings. Well, I, this to me is particularly unusual because I think he's painted it from Hong Hong. So you get, you get the uh, extended waterline from, from, you know, almost Causeway Bay, Wan Chai, uh, all the way to, you know, what is central Victoria. But also you just get the very tip of Chim Sa Choi and, and you can see the Peninsula Hotel in profile. So it's quite interesting the way he's done this panorama because he's caught a little bit of... Um, Kowloon, yeah. Kowloon as well. And, and the clock tower yes. next to the ferry. And yes. yeah. So, and trying to work out each of the high-rise buildings is someone's uh, job to do. And then they can probably tell me it was March 1963 <laughs> or whatever. Yes, yeah, so spot the one with scaffolding on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a, a very uh, lovely panorama there of Hong Kong uh, in the harbour around 1965. And as you say, and it's also got a lot, lot more um, small detail than, than some of his other paintings. We've been talking about the work of artist Cam Chong Ling that you can come and see 
at what is fine art here at the bottom of Old Bailey Street until Friday the 3rd of December. So now this is the Cam Cheung Lings is also part of a wider exhibition uh, called Hong Kong, the Pearl of the Orient, 1838 to 1965. So Jonathan, we can also see here many other prints, art, yes. maps. Yes, exactly. I mean, the, the exhibition starts in, in the earliest depictions of Hong Kong in the 1830s and we go through, uh, we have pictures from every decade, 40s, 50s, 60s, all the way through, and it ends with the Kam Chong Ling. But I, I'm, I'm so glad we've covered him because he's a fav favourite artist of mine and uh, it's just so nice to have so many at one time, in one place. My thanks to Jonathan Wattis of What Is Fine Art, talking there on the watercolour paintings of artist Kam Chong Ling. The exhibition, Hong Kong, The Pearl of the Orient, 1838 until 1965, runs until this coming Friday, December the 3rd. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage. <laughs>